Rutherford Issues with Brian Barrett on News Radio WGNS FM 100.5, FM 101.9, AM 1450, online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. Talking with our friends from the Child Advocacy Center today, Sharon DeBoer and Katie Enzer in studio with us as uh, we find out how the CAC has been handling things amid uh, COVID-19. Miss Sharon, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Katie, I'm sure you're doing well. So well today. It's a beautiful Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, got a nice sunny day. Rainy. I mean, it's just like typical summer, but then... Nothing is typical anymore, it doesn't seem, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. This COVID-19 has been crazy. So let's talk a little bit about that. How have how have you all at the CAC kind of handled COVID? Well, we're the Child Advocacy Center are first responders. Mm. We respond with DCS, law enforcement, and the district attorney's office anytime there's a report of child abuse in the county. And all of those reports by law go to the Department of Children's Services, and then they notify the rest of the team. And we triage just like a hospital ER. We you know, determine the priority of the case, and then those children that are in immediate danger are the first children seen. So we never closed down. When everybody was closing down during COVID-19, we all had little letters that said, it is okay for this person to go to work. They're a first responder. Um, So we all, you know, continued to respond to cases. And what we saw at first was really interesting, that when children were at home, we saw a 30% reduction in cases. And so what we attributed that to is that across the nation, 52% of child abuse reporters are school personnel. And so when children aren't in school, whether that's Christmas break, spring break, summer, we see less reporting. Mm. And so when they closed down schools, we just saw significantly less reporting across the state. Now, less reporting does not necessarily mean a reduction in child abuse or cases that you need to deal with. Exactly. And that was what happened after Memorial Day. We saw a huge spike in cases that when the state started opening back up prior to Memorial Day, we saw a huge spike in cases after the holiday. Wow. I guess you're still dealing with a large volume of cases now? Yes, we are. It's kind of leveled off, and we're at where we normally are in the summer. But we expect when school starts back, whether that's you know here in, on August 10th or whether that's in September or whether that's in January, whenever they decide, um, we expect to see a huge spike because children are very close to classroom teachers. They build great relationships with their teachers, and they feel comfortable telling them that they're being abused mm. and so we have a lot of teachers in this county who report child abuse give me that number again of, of the the percentage of teachers that that report 52 percent are teachers and school personnel wow. so that's teachers coaches nurses guidance counselors you know you think about how long your child is in school every day yeah. and so they build great relationships with their teachers and kids who are being abused need trusted adults and so they often find that in their teachers i i just 
find that that number is uh, astonishing not that not that there's not the the trust there but without kids in schools you know you you've lost 50% of your uh, or more than 50% of who reports these yes. cases to you Absolutely and that's what we saw initially when those cases went down 30% we were surprised they didn't go down more and I think it's sad that there were children who weren't safe at home mm. I think that's really a sad situation that there are kids who aren't safe in their homes now, when when things did open back up a little bit, do you know where those cases, who, who was reporting those? Was it close friends and family? or? Well, one of the things that we did was we did a media campaign, and we asked people to pay more attention to the children in their lives and the children they know. And so often what we saw were it, family members, neighbors, uh, you know, youth pastors, people who were having contact with kids still. Wow. Um, I guess it's kind of really changed the whole way you um, try to get the word out there. You Absolutely. Know, I just I was just thinking darkness to light, and when you do those trainings, you're, you're doing a lot of that with school personnel and those who are, are with children. But when daycares. people haven't been around children, mm-hmm. yeah, daycares and places like that. But when you're not around the kids. Uh, you know, who, who does that reporting and what do they know to look for? So mm-hmm. you kind of had to change your whole model or thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, anyway. we really did. We had to do a lot of PR and publicity in the community about what to look for. What were the signs and symptoms of child abuse? Yeah, Brian, we laughed uh, kind of last month when Jessica and I were here and said that, you know, even though we weren't able to do in-person darkness to light training, um, that actually a vast majority of UPS drivers, FedEx, the post office, people coming to people's home and dropping off deliveries actually were reporting. So we saw, you know, some of those things. So we laughed and said, we'll have to get darkness to light over there at UPS and FedEx and and all that just so they know the signs and, of course, be aware whenever they do approach a home. Yeah, uh, uh, kind of the signs and what to look for and, and things like that. Uh, very interesting. With the uh, Child Advocacy Center, Sharon DeBoer and Katie Enzer joining us today. Um, so when school starts back, whenever that is the case, you fully suspect within a month or so you'll see your cases Oh, uh, we up. think we're going to be slammed the first week school starts. Really? With kids that are reporting abuse to teachers. Because when they get back to school, then they're around coaches and guidance counselors and people they know. Yeah. You know, the teacher may be new this year, but there are lots of other people in the school that kids still feel close to. Or their former teachers or things like that you know back in the same school uh people who they've built a rapport with i would say right absolutely so um how has it how has covid19 affected the way that you bring in um for inter for uh, the forensic interviews and things like that i'm sure that's totally changed too well, we lock our front door, just like you do here at WTNS, and we screen people before they come in. We had a Victims of Crime Assistance Grant from the federal government that gave us COVID-19 supplies. So we got you know, a touchless thermometer, a laser thermometer. We got, uh, oh, everything, masks and 
um, cleaning supplies, Clorox wipes, Lysol. We would text each other and say, Walmart has Lysol and you can only get one. And then several of us will go buy Lysol, you know. I know. It's It's, it's been crazy. crazy. Mm-hmm. For the office, not necessarily for home. For a home, but, but for the office. Sure that the office was still being, uh, you know, taken care of and sanitized. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, was a team a, effort. <laughs> a big problem that from area businesses that were trying to, to reopen, even us here at the station, you know, trying to find the supplies to yes just to wipe down yeah 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 that was that was a huge issue especially early on it still can be an issue that that those supplies are just not available yeah good luck trying to find those wipes anywhere i tell you once in a while we're finding wipes are you? <laughs> i like that walmart on highway 99 they've had a few <laughs> Uh, so, so you've been still bringing in um, for the interviews, bringing people into the uh, facility there. Yes, and we use the Vanderbilt Hospital screening. The same questions they ask you at Vanderbilt Hospital when you go in for any kind of a doctor's appointment, we use their screening questions. Um, I'm sure they're similar to every other hospital. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing was we've noticed those questions have changed. You know, it used to ask, have you been in China? Have you been out of the country? Now they just, you know, we have so many cases here here in the United States that they're not even asking, have you been on an airplane or have you been out of the country? Now they're asking, have you been exposed to COVID-19? Have you been tested? You know, all those kinds of questions. And we are seeing our dilemma is when a child has been exposed to COVID-19 and they get, whether they've been tested or not, you know, it takes so long to get results back now that we have to make decisions about interviewing kids. And if it's a priority one case, we're putting everybody in an N95 mask. One of our board members found N95 masks for us, early, I think early that first on. week. Mm-hmm. And so we put everybody in an N95 mask and we interview the child. And we know we're taking a risk when you've got someone who's either been tested or been exposed. But it's also a risk to send a child home where they're being sexually abused. And so we're trying constantly trying to weigh that. And I, I tell you, we work with some pretty amazing people on the Child Protective Investigative Team because they put children first every day. And they're putting them ahead of their own personal health and mm-hmm. well-being. And I, I'm very grateful to them for the work they're doing in our community. You know, um, all all of the, those organizations are emergency responders, yes, first responders like you were talking yes. about. I, I mean, you know, every time they go out, not only the normal dangers that, that they would have to deal with, but now uh, this with, with COVID-19 as well. Uh, Katie Enzer and Sharon DeBoer joining us here to, uh, talking about the uh, efforts of the Child Advocacy Center to keep things rolling here in our community. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it looks like this thing is going to be with us for a while. So uh, you were sharing just a second ago that you've kind of broken your staff up into sections as, as well. Because yes. um, I didn't know this, but Katie, you haven't seen Sharon in person since March. Yeah, probably. we March the 13th. I That's when we, we all saw each other. Yeah. Wow. When, once they closed schools, we immediately pivoted, and we divided into Team 1 and Team Ooh. 2. We had I had talked to a child advocacy center on the East Coast, and, you know, New York and all those East Coast cities had COVID-19 before we did. And so I contacted the Baltimore Child Advocacy Center and I said, what are you all doing to be safe? Because my biggest concern is my employees, the Child Protective Investigative Team, and all those children and families that come in 
through our doors. And so she said, oh, we divided into team one and team two, and we ran with it. When she told us they did that, we ran with it. Because she said, if you have two teams and one of your teams is exposed to COVID-19, they have to quarantine for 14 days. And so she said, if you're out of business if your whole team has to quarantine. And so we immediately divided into team one and team two, and we um, immediately got masks. One of our board members, within two days, she had us masks. And uh, and the community has yeah. been so generous. I mean, it's been amazing. The Muslim youth, there's a new organization called Masks Now Tennessee, um, Murfreesboro Women's Sewing Club. I mean, they are all making us masks because our first problem was the masks were too big. Oh. You know, we're interviewing kids that are three years old, you know, three and four and five-year-olds, and we couldn't get those masks to stay on them, quite frankly. And so we contacted, you know, organizations who had sewn blankets and different things for us in the past, and they said, oh, yes, we'll make masks. And it's been great, you know. Just like, yeah, just like Sharon was saying, the community just really... Um, they just jumped on this opportunity, and a lot of them contacted us too and made kids masks. We you know we didn't even think about it until that one kid said, "Can I have a mask?" You know, the interviewer had a mask on, and yeah. they wanted to feel like you know they were in it too almost. And we just saw that it really helped, and the staff said that it just really helped everyone kind of feel like they were in the safe space together. And just like those groups she was talking about, they've been with us for a long time. I know that they've had working relationships with the center for years, and again, they just showed up once again to, to be there for us when we were in need. That's and people call awesome. us. Mm -hmm. They message us on Facebook and they say, you know, we've got 20 masks we made and we say, oh yeah, we'll take them. You yeah, know, be there at 10. Because we're giving them away every day to children and families. Right. And it's surprising to me how many, how few people had masks. Mm -hmm. You know, it was hard to buy them to get the disposable ones and if you don't sew you know i think it's been tough for people to find masks mm -hmm. now i think you're starting to see places you know we're definitely a, a country that you know <laughs> pivots and adapts the other thing was mm -hmm. a distillery brought us this huge you know those big paint jugs that painters use yeah mm -hmm. a big one like that full of hand sanitizer mm -hmm. we couldn't find hand sanitizer to save our lives and a distillery was making hand sanitizer and brought it to us you know it, it's amazing i think what we have discovered it it takes a couple of months for supply for for the supply chain to react to demand yes. and so now we're seeing an influx of masks and hand sanitizer out there um, probably pretty soon we're, we're going to see those sanitizing wipes and different companies kind of get yes. into that so I'm um, I mean it's it's amazing from that aspect to watch and see how how the country reacts to all of that so team one team two I, i'm sure that you did as much as you could remotely outside of the office too yes what we do is team one is in the office every other week and team two is in the office every other week so that the other part of the team is that is working from home uh, we've gotten really good at zoom we have zoom <laughs> staff a zoom expert y'all <laughs> we have jessica's more <laughs> one expert than me we have Zoom staff meetings every morning. So we have a case tracking system where Department of Children's Services electronically does a data transfer and gives us all of their cases from the previous day. So if it's a priority one case where a child's in immediate danger, we already know about that case before it before it comes through the system. But at 3 a.m., we get a data transfer. So every
every morning we're talking about what's in we call it NCA track the tracking system and so we look at what's in that tracking system and what cases have come through and the interesting thing early on was we saw an increase in physical abuse Certainly. that there was a huge number of physical abuse and we think that was getting reported because neighbors were calling the police hmm. you know when somebody's physically assaulting their child and neighbors see it they immediately call the police you don't see sex abuse that's happening behind closed doors but a lot of physical abuse was happening in people's front yard and you know a lot of kids we saw a lot of physical abuse early on yeah and, and i'm assuming that with the stress of everything that was going on that yes. probably was just the um <laughs> the straw that broke the camel's yeah, back yeah the the thing that ignited all that so well <clears throat> as as we go along here um I'm assuming that you, this this is kind of the way business is going to be done for a while until COVID-19 isn't a problem. Yeah, I think we're looking at the new normal for a while. And yeah. it's been interesting to me. The other thing we've seen a huge increase in, we work cases where children are exposed to their parents' alcohol and drug abuse. Mm -hmm. And that is through the roof. In June, we mm -hmm. had 32 cases. In July, so far, we've had 80 cases. So it's more than doubled. So one of the ways people are coping is using alcohol and drugs to cope, you know. And so that a lot of people don't understand that that's a crime to use to be drunk and use drugs in front of your child. Very interesting uh, information here as we wrap up. I, I always like to give the opportunity to to share if if someone suspects abuse uh, or whatnot going on. Uh, Katie, kind of what what should the person do? Well, of course they should go on our. Uh, if you have access to any sort of web or internet, please go on to the child. Uh, report hotline and call that number that we have listed on our website on our Facebook page which is cacrutherford.org or our Facebook page CAC Rutherford. Mm -hmm. Call the office and we'll be able to help you through that process too at 615-867-9000 and we are available um, Monday through Friday 8 to 430 um, or email us and uh, we just would like to be available for those um, neighbors, friends, families, uh, anybody that just has questions I've walked just through this pandemic. I've walked multiple just anonymous callers who were just wanting to know what to do. Um, and that's been something that, you know, they don't teach you in school or in some of, of these. Yeah. yeah. So we've learned a lot. But also it's been so helpful for me to see that other people in the community or in their neighborhoods have really stood up to what was going on. Well, I appreciate you both being here today. Thank you. And we'll do it again soon. Good to see you. Good to see you. Sharon DeBoer and Katie Enzer joining us here on Rutherford Issues today. A reminder, if you missed any part of the program, you can check our podcast section at WGNSRadio.com.